So I chose ACTS as our series for this part of the year, partly because it follows on so well from Luke, uh, but also because ACTS includes Pentecost, which is celebrated by churches around this time of year. Pentecost Sunday this year is next weekend, 5th of June, uh, which is the Jubilee weekend. We're going to take three Sundays, possibly four, I'm not sure, maybe three or four, to unpack Pentecost in a slightly different way with a little mini-series on the Holy Spirit. For me personally, I've never had much teaching on the Holy Spirit that I can remember, and I do think that the Holy Spirit is the neglected person of the Trinity. There are lots of hair-raising stories about what the Holy Spirit may or may not do, and it's easy for us to become either cynical or fearful and suspicious, or both. And we decide that it's not for us, and that we'll be much safer sticking to decent, dignified, biblical stuff, and steer clear of all that dodgy stuff. And there definitely has been, and still is, some dodgy stuff. I'm not denying that. Working out a true and undistorted view of the Holy Spirit has caused great division. And we still struggle to be of one mind on it today. But if it's biblical stuff that you want, then you definitely want the Holy Spirit. Because he is utterly interwoven into the entirety of God's story through scripture. I think one thing that the reformed tradition has done, it's been dominant in a lot of our churches for centuries, it has taught us to emphasize the majesty of God and to have awe and respect in our worship. And that's not wrong, but that then very easily evolves into we must have restraint in our worship. We must be restrained and buttoned up and not allow emotions to have any part in it at all. And I don't think that was the original intention at all. Getting to know the Holy Spirit brings back the heart and soul into our worship. It brings back vibrancy and vitality into our faith life. And if we close down and close out the Holy Spirit, if we relegate him to something that may be mentioned in the pages of scripture but has no place in our lives today, we are closing down and closing out one third of the Trinity. And it's the part that brings to us the most life and vitality. Without him, without getting to know him more. Our faith can never be whole or healthy or complete. We have nothing to fear in the Holy Spirit. We need more of him. And to get more of him, we need to understand more about him. What we call Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, is described in Acts chapter 2. 
And we're going to take a few Sundays to lead ourselves into that by exploring and learning about who and what the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And then with that understanding in mind, we will come to look at uh, Pentecost in Acts 2 and what it really meant for the Holy Spirit to come. So for today's reading, I'm going to read two short sections from John's Gospel, and then we're going to reread part of Acts 1 that we looked at a few weeks ago. So if you have a Bible there, uh, please turn to John 14, but it will be on the screen for you. I'm moving about a bit today. I'm starting in John, and then I'm moving into Acts. So this is Jesus speaking in John 14. I'm reading from verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. And now across to John 16 and verse 7. This is still Jesus speaking. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And now into Acts chapter 1. This is now Luke writing. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends the earth. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray.
God who is three and God who is one, these are your words. We are here for you and you are here with us. Let the Spirit, the one who brings life, come now and bring life to us. Let us leave behind everything that binds us, everything that keeps us distant from you. And may we be truly set free in you to hear your voice and to know your presence. In the name of Jesus, we seek your living words now. Amen. So let me just briefly recap some of what we covered when we first looked at that passage from Acts 1 um, a few weeks ago. We saw that Acts was written by Luke, the same author of Luke's gospel, and that in fact Acts is Luke volume 2. They are one book in two volumes, really. And we saw that Luke begins his second volume here by explaining to his patron, Theophilus, that in his first book, he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And we saw that therefore, Acts is his continuation of what Jesus continued to do and teach. And we saw that the way in which Acts is the continuation is that it tells us what he continued to do through his disciples. Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts chapter 1, and he stays there. The way in which Jesus continues to do things in our world is through his people, those who came to believe in him. And we saw last time that the book of Acts ends in chapter 28, and it ends with a full stop at the end of the sentence. But although it's the end of the sentence, it doesn't really feel like it's the end of the story. And it's not the end of the story. I talked last time about Acts 29, the next chapter, which doesn't appear in any Bible you will find in any bookshop. It is, in fact, us. We are Acts 29. We are the next chapter. It hasn't finished yet. We are the continuation of the work that Jesus started and continued in his first followers and has continued to continue through all his followers, down through the generations, all the way to us. And we are fully part of it too. We are fully part of that big story. The story hasn't ended. We're still living it. We are Acts 29. And here in Acts 1, I gave you three core instructions last time from Jesus that are here in verses 7 and 8. They were trust the Father. Trust the Father with the big questions. Receive the power of the Spirit. And tell my story everywhere in the whole world. 
So for the next few weeks, we're going to stop and focus on the middle one of those. Receive the power of the Spirit. Jesus is sending them to do his work, to do that continuing, and he's going to give them everything that they will need to do that. And most specifically, he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. Before they can get started, he tells them in verse 4 to wait until the gift comes that he's promised them. And we saw in our readings from John the occasion when he made that promise, which was at the Last Supper, that he would ask the Father to send the Spirit to them after he was gone. So Jesus now says in Acts 1 that, as he's told them before, although he's leaving them, they will receive something else. And that something else is what will empower them and enable them to do this work. Jesus has told them that someone else is coming. Someone else will come and be with them after he is gone. And we can see that in John, he calls it the advocate. The Greek word here is paraclete. And we don't have an equivalent word in English for this word that is used here, paraclete. But it includes meanings and undertones of comforter, strengthener, counselor, helper, supporter, advisor, ally, senior and wise friend. And because Jesus says that this is another paraclete who will come, we can say that Jesus is all of those things. And this other paraclete will be all of the things that Jesus has been to them. He wants them to understand that even though he'll be leaving them, he's not going to leave them alone and abandoned and to their own devices. He's going to send them someone else who will be to them all the things that he has been to them. And because we are included in this, because we are the continuation of what Jesus and his disciples started here, this other paraclete is as much for us as it was for them. So let's just think a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is. Let me start by saying what the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of energy field transmitted by God or any other being. He is not some kind of cosmic echo of Jesus and Jesus' being. The Holy Spirit is not some earth force, the divinity of earth and nature 
as some worshippers of earth and nature might want it to be. The Holy Spirit is mysterious, but not to be suspicious of. Powerful, but not to be feared. The Holy Spirit is not any of those things I've mentioned, because the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person in the Trinity that is the God that we worship and believe in. The Holy Spirit is not an energy force. He is a person who knows you, who knows your name, who knows all about you, and who wants you to know him more. He is a person who has a very definite identity and very definite ways in the same way that you have your own ways, your own characteristics that are part of who you are. And the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God as much as and in the same way that the Father and the Son are God. We know that the Father is fully God. And we know that Jesus the Son is fully God. And what we believe in is not a trinity that is made up of two real and whole persons and beings, plus one that is somehow something less. The Holy Spirit is the third and equal person of the Trinity. And therefore, we cannot pretend that he doesn't really matter or can be sidelined so that we can just concentrate on the Father and the Son because we're more comfortable with them. He's there in Scripture, Old Testament and New. In the Old Testament, the Spirit doesn't appear clearly as a person. He is spoken of as the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. And it kind of feels like it's the same way that we might speak of the hand of God or the feet of God. He's there, but it seems like he's part of God. But it's not made clear in the Old Testament that he is a separate and equal person in the same way that the Son doesn't appear clearly as a separate and equal person in the Old Testament. The Jewish faith, which uses only the Old Testament, believes in one God who is one and not three. They don't believe in the Trinity because it's not in their scriptures clearly enough that they have. But in the New Testament, which brings us Jesus the Son, more is revealed that helps us to understand more about what the Spirit is. It's not that the Old Testament was wrong. It's not that the Spirit wasn't a person in the Old Testament and then became a person later. It is simply that there is a new revelation, unfolding of more that had not been revealed before. 
So it's in the New Testament that we start to realize that the Spirit is a person. Jesus speaks about the Spirit as a person, as the third divine person, connected to, but also distinct from, the Father and the Son. With his own identity, just as the Father and the Son are connected but distinct from each other with their own identities. The word Trinity doesn't even appear in the Bible, even in the New Testament. It's a concept that had to be pieced together in the early centuries of Christianity after Jesus' death. They had to examine and reflect deeply on what Jesus had said, on Paul's writings, in the New Testament and what the Old Testament scriptures said. Jesus brought this radical new revelation, this unfolding of more information that the Spirit, in fact, is a person and part of a three-way Godhead. So the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. Thirdly, for today, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in us. He indwells us. This is astonishing. Because of the Holy Spirit, God is not some distant being who is inaccessible to us. Because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is not just with us every day in some kind of vague and nice sounding but insubstantial way. Because of the Holy Spirit, God himself is in us. And he fills us. He comes into us and he stays. He indwells he makes his home in us. In John 14, 23, Jesus says that the Father and the Son will make their home in you. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want to live in you. They don't just want your worship. They don't just want you to live a life that obeys Jesus' teaching. They actually want to live in you. The Holy Spirit is the living presence of God in you. The life and the power of God in you. And so now... You have not only your own human living that you've always had, your own human existence, but the life of God is in you as well. And he will fill your person and your being to the extent that you are willing to let him. I'm going to unpack that a bit more next time. He will fill you to the extent that you are willing to.
had met him. I want to just say something about when we receive the Holy Spirit. When does it happen and whether all of us have received it? This is, it's a source of worry for a lot of Christians. They feel that, that they haven't received the Holy Spirit and is there something else I need to do to get it and that somehow I failed to do that. And I want to say clearly that the only thing you have to do to have the presence of the Holy Spirit living in you is to declare Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the one who has paid the penalty for your sin and say that you belong to him. Romans 10, 9 says it. Nothing more is needed. I believe that every Christian who makes that declaration from their heart receives the Holy Spirit in that moment. Because by making that declaration, we become Jesus' disciple, we become his. And Jesus promised the coming and the living presence of the Holy Spirit to all of those who follow him. Sometimes it's thought that the receiving of the Holy Spirit must be some separate occasion that comes later and it must be dramatic. You definitely won't miss it. But look at what Ephesians 1 says. Ephesians 1.13 And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. There are some who want to create a two-tier Christianity and make those who may not have had a dramatic experience of the Spirit feel like they are somehow second-class Christians. That maybe they don't have the Spirit, they haven't received it, and so they're a bit of a failure, really. I see nothing in Scripture to support that view. I'm happy to allow that different people have different experiences. And for some, the dramatic is what they have. But what I see in scripture is Romans 10.9. That if you believe with your heart and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And if you have done that, if you have believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and is your Lord, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the living presence of God in you. He makes his home in you and he's living in you now. And I want you to know that. It is the Holy Spirit who takes our faith from head to heart. From the written page to a true and lived and felt experience. From a theory that we talk about to something that you are living proof of. 
Do you feel like you are living proof of something? What are you living proof of? The word that is used in scripture for spirit, like all the words that are used for God, it's a picture word. The Hebrew word is ruach, and the Greek word is pneuma. And both of them are vibrant, active words with a sense of energy that our word spirit doesn't really convey. Both of them, ruach and pneuma, they both mean breath. But not just normal, gentle breathing. They mean breath that is blown out with energy and power, like the big bad wolf who was going to huff and puff and blow the houses down. It is that breath. This is a picture word of breath that is sent out vigorously, strongly, with purpose and strength and energy. These words express energy that has been sent out and let loose for a purpose. It's a movement, an action word. This is power that has been put into action. It's power taking the form of action. And the action is to change things. The essential work of the Holy Spirit in us, in our world, wherever he is, the essential work of the Holy Spirit is to change, to reshape, and to transform. And so with our imagination, let's imagine this idea of breath, the breath of God that is powerful, that is power at work to change things. Let's imagine this breath being breathed into you at that moment of salvation. Take yourself back in your mind. If you have a moment like that, go back to it. In that moment of turning to Christ and confessing him as your Lord, that God breathes into you a new breath, that breathes a new life into you, a new kind of life. The breath of God, that is the Holy Spirit being breathed into you in that moment, infusing your whole body and being. And now, because the presence of God is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you, and because his nature is power in action, He is at work in you to change you, to transform you, to reshape you.
Doesn't that literally inspire you? To inspire literally means to breathe in, to breathe something in. And just breathe in that thought now that when you received Christ, God breathed into you his ruach, a new breath of life. And his spirit, his presence has been living in you ever since. Don't let anyone make you doubt it. If you have turned to Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. He's in you now and there is no person or power in heaven or earth who can keep him out. But the thing we do have to work on is our awareness and our understanding of what it means to have him living in us and to seek more of him. What we do have to work on is our willingness to let him do his work. It is perfectly possible for us to have the Holy Spirit in us, but never allow him to do anything in us. Never allow him to grow in us and to do the work that he wants to do. To never truly understand the reality of what we've been given. There is work for us to do. And that's what I want to explore next time when we return to this again. I can't possibly do the whole of the Holy Spirit in one sermon. Next time, we're going to look at how we can do this, how we can become more aware of the Holy Spirit. How do we do it? How can we be more filled with him and allow him more power in our lives? For now, let's just take a few moments to just return to that thought that the Holy Spirit is in you now. Yes, you. He is a person. He is God, equal to but distinct from the Father and the Son. And he is the living presence of God in you. Will you allow him to be that? Will you allow this astonishing truth that the all-powerful God chooses to dwell in you, to make his home in you? And he is alive in you now. Just as you sit quietly, just become aware of your breath and the oxygen that is traveling around every part of your body. And as you are aware of your breath, imagine the life and the power of God being breathed into you now. 
and traveling into every part of you, bringing energy, bringing new life, bringing new life to what has been dead. Ask him to show himself to you, to make himself real to you, and he will. Just take these moments to rest and to enjoy the experience of his living presence in you. Do you believe that he is here now? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is in this place? Do you believe that he's alive in you now, waiting and ready to work in you if you will say yes to him? Open your arms and open your heart. Holy Spirit, we believe that you are here, that you are in this place among us now. We believe that you are God and that you are power in action. The power of God in action in us. Your living presence is in everyone who has accepted Christ. Whether we've been aware of you before now or not, you're there. And we want to be aware of you now. Will you show yourself to us? Will you make yourself real to us so that we can sense you? and understand what you want for us. Let our hearts be fully open to you, without fear, without shame, without guilt, without any feelings that we're not good enough or that you wouldn't want us. Will you come and take full possession of us now? We want more of you. We need you. We want to understand more and to experience more of your power and your reality in our lives. We open ourselves to you now. Come and be at work in us.